Hey, I'm Brandon. And I'm Hannah, and we're the pastors at New Community Church. Yeah, and it's our hope that this message inspires you to take your next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the message. We are in this summer, we're taking some time. Actually, if you haven't noticed, we didn't like put this together as a, as a uh, necessarily a package series, but we've been talking about principles that come from God's word. And the reason why we, we take time each week to look at God's word, to study God's word, is not just that it's God breathed, uh, which is beautiful and is incredible, but it's also helpful. It's practical. It, it applies to your life. It's actually the reason God gave it to us was so that we could really experience the life that he made for us. And so that's why we take time each week to look at it. And uh, really, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just a one-time decision, but it's a one-step-at-a-time lifestyle. You've heard us say that before. It's about a lifetime direction. And directions are important. They're always important. But honestly, you know it and I know it. The time when you really value directions are when you're lost, right? Anybody ever been lost? I know we all have everywhere. Uh, I've been lost a lot. uh, And we actually, Hannah has talked about this. We have a fight in our marriage as far as who is the most um, geographically gifted, uh, to which I won this week for the first time in like five years. So just want to put that out there. But uh, we've all been lost uh, in lots of different ways. I remember the time I was most lost, uh, or I felt the most lost, I'll say it that way, was I was 20 years old, and I was in Calcutta, India, and I was traveling there for, uh, with a group of about 13 people that I had only known for two months. Uh, only three of them were American, and uh, it was an international team, and we were traveling. We were going to be in India for six weeks, and uh, we get to Calcutta. We land in the airport. If you've never been there... Calcutta is one of the largest cities in India. It's also known as the, the dirtiest city in India uh, uh, because of just the, the poverty that's there. It's just massive, and it's, it's kind of, you just got to go to see it and experience it. And so I'm there, just my, it's my second time in India, actually, but my first time in Calcutta. I, I'm super excited, and our team of 13, we all have our backpacks on, we, we, you know, these big back duffels, and, and we go out, and we, we uh, get together four taxi cabs, and we grab all the taxi cabs. Uh, uh, taxi drivers, and we say, hey, we need to go to the hostel on Sutter Street. Do you know where that is? And all four of them would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said, great. You, you know where we're are you taking us? They said, yeah, yeah. And so we said, okay. So we split our team up in four taxis, and we get in this line, and we start driving. And before, you know, just a few minutes in, the taxi in front of us, I was in taxi number two. Taxi number one just peels off to the right, and we just kept going straight. But the other two did too. So I thought, hey, it's not a big deal. We'll just keep rolling. And uh, I was just taken in the sights. Well, about 10 minutes later, the taxi behind us peels off. And uh, pretty soon, we're the only taxi left. Like, we're just, we're all, we all took different turns. And after an hour of driving in Calcutta, the taxi driver just stops. We're in the middle of the city. I have no idea where we are. And we say, Sutter Street? And he says, oh, no, I don't know. (laughs) And we were like, what? And he said, you you have to get out. So we, we didn't pay him. That was a good thing. But we did get out, and we had no idea where we were. And I'll tell you, I learned two critical lessons that day about being lost. Number one, when you're lost, you don't ask to get fixed. You ask for directions. 
right? There's no quick fix when you're lost. There's no reboot button. You cannot take out your phone and just, just press both sides and then re- boom, you're there and just everything's okay. It doesn't work like that when you're lost. When you're lost, no, you need directions. You need to know how to get from where you are to where you need to be. And that's exactly what we did that day. We walked for hours Good thing I was 20 years old because I would have known better. But we just kept walking, asking people where Sutter Street was until we finally made it to our hostel that day. That was lesson number one. There's no quick fix. Lesson number two is that oftentimes, unfortunately, it's probably most of the time, you're lost well before you realize you're lost. I mean, that day, that was, Calcutta was mesmerizing. I had the window down in my taxi. I was taken in the sights. I mean, there were elephants on the road and cows and rickshaws and bicycle rickshaws. And then there were guys scooping that poop from the elephants and the cows and four rows of cars in two lanes, all in two lanes of traffic. I mean, it was insane. And just taking it in, the sights, the sounds, the fruit stands, everything, all the while not knowing that I was heading in the exact wrong direction. And if I can just make that personal for you and me today, it it is very possible that you and I, in different spaces of our life, we can be happy and unaware that we are actually heading in the wrong direction, right? We can do that financially, where we're just making financial decisions or, or... maybe not even consciously making decisions, and we're actually heading to a, a pretty big crisis moment, but we have no idea until we feel the result of those decisions, right? That can happen relationally. We can be heading down a path within our relationships that actually is going to end up in a very critical, painful, hurtful space, and we just didn't know it while we were on the road there. We were already lost. We just didn't quite feel it yet, Right? And sometimes that's a problem. Sometimes people will tell us, hey, I don't think that's right. I don't think you're heading in the right direction. But because we don't feel it, we just don't think they're right. That's how I've done it. That's how I've felt sometimes. We can be lost uh, morally. We can make decisions for instant gratification in the now and not realize the long-term consequences that we're making. It's easy to be lost and not know it. You know, you can do that in your faith, too. Even as a Jesus follower, it's possible to follow Jesus or to, let me say it this way, it's possible to be a Christian and to be lost. I don't know if you knew that. But if you try to chase down this path of appeasing God or chase down this path of earning God's blessing or God's favor in your life, you're actually heading down the wrong road and it's going to lead you into something you were never made for. We talk a lot. I mean, this is, we're only 10 months into starting this new community. And as a new community of faith, there's a lot of decisions we're making in these days, in these weeks, how we do it relationally, what we're starting with, what are our foundational pillars that we're building this church off of that I'm praying will be healthy 20, 30, 40 years from now. And the decisions we make now, if we're not careful, we can end up being lost. We could end up leading to something that we were never supposed to be, that we were somewhere where we were never supposed to really intended to, to, to end up. And so it's so important that we pay attention to direction. It's so important that we understand how the decisions we make today affect where we end up tomorrow. And so that's why I'm so grateful 
uh, for Jesus. Because he shows us something that's really like just, I, it's kind of simple, it's practical, but I really think it's encouraging. I hope it's good news for you. And it's this, that, you know, if you do change your direction, things will eventually change. That's kind of the good news, is that if you will change your direction, things will eventually change. And Jesus, he really points us to that way forward. In fact, his whole message of life was very directional. He was very intentional about there being a direction that you're supposed to head, not because of to please God, not, not anything like that, but just because that's the life you were made for, and you can't just head any direction you want because sometimes the direction you want ends up leaving you lost. He's very directional in how he leads us, and, and what it means to follow him is to follow his lead, right? And so I'm so thankful for Jesus. He's not only the savior of my soul. He not only writes my relationship with God, which is incredible because I could never do it on my own, but he also gives me practical insights into how to walk in my everyday so that I can experience the life I was made for. And I don't have to guess it, if that makes sense. And that's, that's comforting to me. That brings me peace. And I hope that's what today does for you. That as we look at this principle that Jesus actually gives us, that it'll actually add more peace to you. It'll help you really understand, hey, in my now, I can have assurance that I'm walking in the right direction. So that's what we're looking at today. Uh, it's actually a principle that the Apostle Paul spells out so clearly. It's all over the teachings of Jesus. In fact, it is kind of what I would say the primary, uh, really the, the linchpin of Jesus's message but Paul says it so clearly, I want to look at it because he was speaking to a group of new Christians. He was actually speaking to a brand new church and saying, hey, this is how you actually follow the direction that you are made to, to live. And so we're going to look at that, this, G, this new Jesus direction, if you could let me say that. And uh, it's found in Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, that's a letter that Paul wrote to this new church. And in that letter, he actually mentions these three principles. They, he, he calls them walks. Walk this way. And uh, when he says walk this way, uh, these three, really the first one is the foundational one that everything else is built off of. So today, I'm not going to give you three. I'm just going to give you one. And hopefully, you'll take some time uh, this week to read through Ephesians as a whole. It's a short book. It's five letters. But I hope you'll dig in because, man, I promise you, as you apply those things to your life, you'll experience peace of God. And so we're going to look at that, this first walk. It's found in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Uh, but then the beautiful thing about Paul, how he does it, he's just a brilliant teacher. And, and you've got to know that when you read some of his letters. He was incredible. Paul doesn't just give us a principle and then just say, ha-ha, you know, go for it. He, no, he actually gives us the principle, and then he gives us kind of how you apply that principle in life. And then he spells out, here's some examples of what it looks like. And his hope was that to the people he was writing to, they would have these examples and this application and this principle and see and know, okay, this is how I can apply this principle in any and every scenario, in any and every relationship. And if I do that, now that I have these examples, I'll know I'm headed in the right direction. And again, that's what I'm hoping for you. Because as we take a look at the principle and his examples, it'll give you some assurance that you can know how to head in the right direction. That's what we're talking about. If you're good with that, say bueno. Come on, Nuko. I love it. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at the principle first, and then we'll move from there. So it starts off like this. It says, follow, there's that directional 
language, right? Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Now, I usually just read past it, but you have to understand that this is the starting point for following Jesus. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Man, you do not have to appease an angry God. No, man, he's got his eye on you. You've got to know that God has so much compassion for you that you, man, you mean the world to him. You are in the center of his heart. You are his dearly loved children. And the whole reason why Jesus came was that so that he, the father, and you, his child, could be restored again. That you could really feel the acceptance that he has for you. That sense of adoption. Literally, God wants to take you from where you are and place him right next to him. That you could have that kind of relationship. This is the starting point of following Jesus. And you've got to note that. Man, for those of us who've grown up in church, we, we, we move past this, but this is how we have to start every day. This is the place from where we have to make every decision. We have to wake up every morning knowing that we are dearly loved. And so, you know what? So I don't have to live trying to earn love. I don't have to live trying to earn acceptance. I do not have to live trying to fight for my own sufficiency or, or uh, my own significance. No, no, God's already got that because I'm dearly loved. And that's the very first place we live from. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So because I'm dearly loved, now I know how I can start walking, how I can start following. And this is what he says. And he says, and walk, there's that word Paul uses, and walk in the way of love, just as. And I, I'm so grateful Paul put that in there. That just as is so critical, y'all, because if he just said walk in the way of love, well, there's a lot of people that say that. I've said that. You've said that. Our, our society has said that. But, man, you and I both know that not all love is created equal, right? It's not. No way, but we are to walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Man, this is the love that Christ modeled for us. And that is, it's a self-sacrificing, a self-giving, a self-surrendering. Man, Jesus did not live his life entitled to anything, but he was willing to lay it down for your sake and for my sake and for their sake. For your neighbor's sake and for the, the one who's, who's sleeping in the motel on Brook Road's sake and for the one in your school's sake and for the one in your neighborhood's sake and the coworker on Zoom and the video right next to you's sake. I was, you know, I was going to say cubicle, but I 2021'd it. That was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, 2021. I just made that up. You can steal it. That's fine. Man, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. That's what this is all about. That is the central message of Jesus's life and what it really means to be a Jesus follower is that we live this kind of day-to-day, one step at a time, walk in every decision, in every relationship. I, I, I've got to tell you how it, it's just, we're going to look at some examples, but this was revolutionary when Paul first shared this, this was revolutionary when Jesus came and modeled it. It's this idea that, man, because Jesus 
has set you free. Now you and I can live free to love the one beside me. That's really what that message is. And, and I don't, like I said, I don't have to fight for my own significance. I don't have to fight for my own acceptance. I don't have to fight for my space in this world because I'm already dearly loved. Now I just get to imitate God and his love for me. Isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. I'm telling you. And so what Paul then does is he says, okay, so now that you get this, let me show you how you actually make these choices. And he, and he gives us an application when he, when he applies it. He actually is talking to the people in Ephesians, and he says, I want you to stop this direction and start this direction. And then he underscores, and this is why. And the why is so important because some of these things, I'm just going to give you the spoiler alert right now. Some of these things are not new behaviors. In fact, you would probably read them as is and say, well, yeah, that's, that sounds right. But what Paul's trying to point to is not what's right. He's trying to point to why it's right and why it's right for you. So I want to show you three examples that I hope can help you really apply this and understand this more fully. Walk, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in his way of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering and a sacrifice to God. So let me show you this. And in fact, before I do, I just want to give you, as I said, this principle that I learned, and I learned this phrase uh, years ago for how to apply this principle in my life. So I want to give it to you. It's the one thing to know. And it's this. It says, when unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. See, that's the new question when you follow Jesus. When I'm unsure of what to say or what to do, all I've got to do is ask what love requires of me. And not just any love, but the love that is just as Christ, that is, that is sacrificing, that is self-surrendering, that is uh, self-releasing. Man, this right here, I've got to tell you, it's so simple, but it requires your full surrender. This right here is so decluttering, right? And this is it. This is the question. So decluttering, but it's so demanding. Let's look at why, and let's look at how to apply this. I want to show you this example. Paul starts, he gives a number of them. We're just going to look at three. Here's the first one he gives. He says, so stop telling lies. That's his we're in the application. He says, okay, so I want you to stop this direction. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. That's the new direction. Tell the truth. But then he gives us the why. For we are all parts of the same body. Now, again, I'm going to back up, and I know just pushback-wise, this isn't new. And if you grew up in church, you're like, well, this is what I've been told all my life. Yeah, I know that the, the, the what, the how, what, what you're supposed to do is, but you've got to hear how revolutionary this why is behind it. You're supposed to tell the truth, but not because it's right. You're supposed to tell the truth, not because you're trying to appease God. You're, trying to, you're supposed to tell the truth, not because of, uh, it earns better karma in your life. It, it's not because of the golden rule. It's not because that's how you want people to treat you. I mean, think about this. Why do you tell the truth? What's the motive behind what your truth-telling? What is it? See, Paul, he actually, this is crazy, y'all. He does not point to the vertical relationship. That truth-telling has very little to do with this right here. I almost said nothing. I, I could probably say that and be okay. It has nothing because Jesus has already done this. No, Paul doesn't point to my vertical relationships. He only points to my horizontal. 
I tell the truth because it's how I love the ones who are part of the same body. What does that mean? They have equal value to me. And so in Christ, loving is my motivation for truth-telling. In Christ, that's it. It's my motivation for truth-telling. It's, it's the reason. It's because of how I love you. It's because that's how I show you. It's not so that I don't get in trouble. It's not so that I don't get on God's bad side. It's because I love you. It actually has very little to do with me. Just think about that. It's a little different. It's a little bit of a new why. It's a new direction. But it leads you to a life you were made for. You good? Just think about that. I want to show you one more example. This is another one. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Or I like the translation. It says, let the 23-year-old no longer mooch, but we'll just move on. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So that why? So that he can be self-sufficient. So that he can make a living and provide for his family. No, no, no. Those are great things, but that's not the motivation behind a life of following Jesus. Check out what he says. Here's the why. You work hard with your hands. You pay your dues. You do your work so that you can be generous and so that you can live a life of sharing what you have with those in need. That is the Christian motive. In fact, I'll say it this way. In Christ, giving becomes my motive for getting. Parents, just take a second with me and think about this. What if this is the conversation you have with your teenager around the dinner table? That you want them to work hard and get good grades and get into college and choose that degree and then pay their dues in their industry so that they can really have a successful job that has a lot of earnings so that they can give. Man, what if we had a generation below us that woke up every morning motivated to go to work so that they can live more generously? That would change our society. That would change this community. What if we woke up like that? That the whole reason God has given us opportunities in this nation, in this generation, is so that we could be more generous. This is not about giving 10%. This is about giving all we have to him. Yeah, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. An open-handed posture. Man, I'm going to do everything I can, earn as much as I can, so that I can give as much as I can with my life. And I'm going to do that to the last day that I die. Come on, what could God do with a new community who live like that? This is a new direction. This is a new motivation of how to live. That in Christ, man, I choose to get what I can get so that I can give what he's asking me to freely give. Because I don't have to provide for me. That's his job. That's what he's already said. He's my father, and I'm his dearly loved children. Is this helping? Is this good? Is this good? This is it. Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. I love it. That was good. That was like the 1995. Come on. Come on, one at a time. Here we go. We, we uh, watched Cool Runnings this week in the, in the van. and Sorry, that's where that came from. Uh, if you haven't watched it, go to Disney Plus. You'll be thoroughly pleased. All right, good. I want to show you one more uh, because really you can apply this to anything. But I just want to help you, and this is what Paul does. He, he's trying to help us 
really learn how we can apply this. And I'm telling you, it's just little things, right? It's just little things. But it is a whole new direction. And it really does change where you end up. And I hope you can get there. Can I tell you? Is it okay? I just want to tell you one of my dreams before I move to this next one. One of my dreams is that I, may, I, I can give more money away in a year than I make. Isn't that a crazy dream? But I've been praying that since I was in high school because that's, that's not about this setting. or that, that, That's about living a life where I get what I can get so I can give what he's asking me to give. And I, just, I don't always say that, but I wanted to put that, that word in your heart. For some of you who just need to know, you pursued a career and you pursued a profession. You're like, God, was this the right thing? And he's saying, come on, come on. I've called you there so you can give to those who are in need. The ones that have your father's heart, the ones that your father, his heart beat as long and after. And he's saying, man, go get them. Be there for them. Good? You good with that? Awesome. Thank you, Nuko. Let me show you one more. This is from... Again, Paul, he says, no rotten word must proceed from your mouth. Now, real quick, that has nothing to do with English four-letter words that we don't let our fifth graders and below say, okay? That's not what we're talking about. This is about a tone of voice that is rotten, that is critical and demeaning and discouraging and negative and can only see the bad in the situation and that worries, 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 and that lets that just kind of fly out at people and it is rotten, it's decaying, it's destroying. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only something good for the building up of their need in order, here it is, that it may give grace to those who hear it. So in Christ, my motive for speaking up is to build up. In Christ, my motive for speaking up is that I can give you a gift of God's grace. In Christ, God wants to make sure that every conversation I have, I can be in that space to give extra grace to you. And that's his goal for you to me as well. That every time we gather, that's what we do. Every time we speak, that's what we give. And I'll tell you, this is a space where God began to challenge my sarcasm. Because I love being sarcastic and witty. Uh, I love I, I love it. And, and there have been many days, unfortunately, where I, I have been, been uh, my goal was to be the wittiest room in the, <laughs> uh, take two. My goal was to be the wittiest one in the room and, and to, really, to really focus on making you, building myself up by what you thought of me. But reality is, if I'm building myself up, I'm actually rotting you. I'm, I'm, I'm decaying. And what that's the opposite direction. And it's sarcasm. It's not that big a deal. It's a very American male thing to do. But I'm just telling you that it, it might... Ooh, feel that right there? It might just be... It might just be what the opposite direction that God wants me to walk in. And if I can say this, I, I know there have been conversations I was in that God had an intention for me to give grace and all I did was take and build myself up. But man, if I'm dearly loved by Jesus, I don't have to do that anymore. I can enter any conversation I'm in looking for ways to build up and give more grace. Is this helpful? Is this good? And here's why we do that, because that's what love requires of me. And that's what love requires of you. 
And if we're going to receive Jesus' unconditional love, it's also following him means that we also imitate that kind of love in every single opportunity we have. So the next time you're wondering what you should say or what you should do, just ask one simple question. What does love require of you? And it may look as simple and as small as a step of not saying that sarcastic joke. And I mean, honestly, just a little pushback. Is sarcasm even a sin? I'll, I'll tell you the, the biblical answer. Nowhere in the New Testament is sarcasm addressed. But honestly, that's the wrong question. When you follow Jesus, is that a sin is no longer the question we ask. That's the old way of thinking. And we have a new question. Not is this a sin, but is this what love requires of me? Is this how I give them grace? Is this how I lay myself down in this space? Is this, is this what love is asking of me? That is the new question. And if you face any decision in your workspace, at school, in college, if you face any decision and that's the question you have, I promise you, here's the way God designed it. That question will lead you to the, to the best that he has for you. That's not a promise for me. That's a promise from the one who put his life on the line for that. And so I just want to bring that back to you because this is a great principle. The, the, the good thing about principles is they, they tend to bring some clarity, and I hope you got that. The negative thing about principles is we can receive that clarity and, and not really directly apply them to life so much as just think, oh, well, mentally I have a great, clear, clear direction. But I, so I just want to end with this, this one question, new community. Who's the one that God is asking you to love? If he's asking you to love with a Christ-like, self-sacrificing, self-giving, self-denying love. Who's the one where maybe you feel just a little entitled in that relationship, but God is saying, no, no. I want you to lay it down. Man, I want to ask us as a church, what is love requiring of us? That is such a crucial question for us as a new community to, to hold in front of us often. Because it's easy as a church to get lost down the wrong path and to start building something we were never intended to build. See, it is important that when you come here and you experience God's presence and you do get full, but can I tell you, that's not the intention of when the church gathers. The intention is that not that you get full, but that you give grace to someone else who needs it, that you build up the one beside you because they're part of the same body. And so you give value to them where you see it. You build them up in your conversation. You actually are pouring out and you can do that because you are loved already. And we need to make sure that every time we gather as a church, we're coming into this space thinking about what we can give more than about what we can receive. Man, what God could do with a new community who lived like that, I think it could change this world.
I really think it would lead you to the very life you were made for. And so, I just challenge you with that. Ask God, what does love require of me? Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey with Jesus. Yeah, and we'd love to connect with you further. And the best way to do that is at our website, thenewcommunity.church, where you can connect to our small groups, find other resources, and even give to the work God's doing through New Community.